Welcome to Spirits Podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Amanda. And I'm Julia. And this is episode 186, Mythological Dogs, live from the Boston Museum of Science, but on the internet. But on the internet. Yeah, this was supposed to be a in-person live show, but unfortunately, because of the pandemic, we weren't able to get to the Museum of Science. But we were so grateful that they were willing to have us do a virtual show instead, because it meant a lot of the people on the internet got to come that wouldn't have been able to. It was extremely fun. I think it's still a very good show in audio, uh, not just in video. And thank you again to the museum for having us. We hope to make it in person soon. Yes, hopefully. And when we do, Julia, I know that I would love to walk through a museum with our newest patrons, Rebecca, Afternoon Star, Fruity Chick, and the lovely Loveless, along with our supporting producer-level patrons who always have a favorite exhibit that they want to take you to and describe exactly what it is they love about it. Mm. Megan Moon, Keegan Landon, Baz, Mr. Folk, Jen, Hannah, Alicia, Sarah, Nikki, Megan, Deborah, Molly, Skyla, Samantha, Neil, Jessica, and Phil Fresh. And Julia, those legend level patrons who are the equivalent of people who have wings named after them in museums. But they're not like often terrible racists, which is great. (laughs) No, they are definitely not. Jordan, Donald, Eden, Drew, Avonlea, Ashlea, Chelsea, Clara, Francis, Josie, Kylie, Morgan, BMF, Scotty, Audra, Chris, Mark, Sarah, and Jack Marie. We love you all very much. Very, very much. We'll put up statues of you one day. I love that. And Julia, remind us what you were drinking during this episode. Very, uh, very themed. So I made a Salty Dogs, which actually is a callback to a cocktail that I made for the Selkies and Kelpies episode all those years ago. Uh, So early. So it was nice to kind of revisit it. Fantastic. Amanda, what else has been fantastic in your life? What have you been listening to, reading, watching? Well, I would love to recommend to the conspirators this week, What a Day, which is a podcast co-hosted by my friend Akila Hughes. And it is a fantastic short daily news podcast that somehow is both like a really realistic and unflinching look at what's happening, but also leaves me feeling um, empowered. And like I am motivated to do something, like I know something that I didn't know before. Um, Akila is absolutely fantastic. She also wrote a book that you can pick up. Uh, we're going to put it in our, our bookshop.org list at spiritspodcast.com slash books. But she is great. Her podcast is great. And you should listen to What a Day. Yeah, Akila is a wonderful person. And I enjoy hearing her voice all the time. And that book is called, obviously, Stories from My Timeline. It's great. <laughs> and the cover's beautiful. Wonderful. What el- what other exciting stuff do we have to tell our patrons? We talked about our coloring book that they can download from our merch store right now. Do we have anything else in the works, Amanda? Uh, we do. Yeah. So we are basically doing limited edition pins where we're going to make a limited run. And then when they are sold out, they are done. And we move on to the next limited edition pin. And these ones are absolutely gorgeous. They are copper, first of all, like beautiful bronze color, which mm. I don't have any of yet. And I'm very, very stoked. Yeah. You don't see a lot of those in enamel pins. And I think that they really pop. They are also in partnership with Shaker and Spoon. So these are depicting three gorgeous drinks. There is a cobbler, a hot toddy, and a whiskey sour. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can choose the drink that best represents you, or you can get all three and split them up with your friends or put them on your denim jacket. And it looks absolutely fantastic. They are for pre-order right now, and they will be shipping soon. 
Yes, they are absolutely gorgeous. I think they are one of my favorite things we've designed in the store. I like all of our stuff, all of our creepy cool stuff, but this is a little bit more on the cool side and less on the creepy side. Absolutely. And we're just so grateful to have this partnership with Shaker and Spoon and keep on working with them in new and really, really exciting ways. So you can check out these new pins, the virtual coloring book we told you about last week, as well as the beautiful Haunted National Park posters we debuted earlier this spring and a whole lot more at spiritspodcast.com slash merch. Get your creepy cool merch now. And for any of you out there who are aspiring podcasters, hopefully you know that Multitude releases tons of free resources for you and for creative people of all stripes as well, whether that's about accounting or making a podcast trailer or working with your friends or understanding like podcast networks versus collectives and all that stuff. And the newest one is our biggest yet. Um, Eric Silver and I wrote a PDF all about fiction podcast production. So we talked with Julia, we talked with Brandon Grugel and all of the team on Next Stop and put together basically all of the things that we learned the mistakes we made and the resources we have to share for anybody making a fiction show. Uh, We shared our budget. We have templates. There is a contract template that our lawyer drew up for free for everybody um, if you're working with actors on your show. And it's basically one production's point of view on how we did it and what we think will be helpful to you. So no matter what your budget is, whether you want to learn some tips and tricks for working with your friends, or if you work at a company or want to work at a company and better understand what the podcast production process looks like um, at a collective, or a bigger company, this one's for you. Yeah, I think that we uh, we really have a lot of tips and tricks for anyone of any size production. So you can access that along with our dozens of other articles and videos and resources at multitude.productions slash resources. And with that, we hope you enjoy Spirits Podcast episode 186, Mythological Dogs, live from the Boston Museum of Science virtual space. We're going to be talking about Who's a Good Boy, a tour of <laughs> mythological dogs from Spirits. Very good. This is a very good encapsulation of what Spirits is for anyone who doesn't know. <laughs> Thank you. So first off, pups, there's a lot of them. Mythological dogs come in many shapes and forms. Some of them resemble the dogs that we know and love. Others have human forms. Some of them are even human canine hybrids, which I know, Amanda, you love so much. It's a running Amanda's gag. The- don't love biggest it. fan. Don't love it. Don't love that like Rubik's cube of different animal parts. We got a griffin, lion, snake, lizard, dragon hybrid. I'm just I'm scared of it. <laughs> but each of these dogs represents something that we love about our four-legged friends and what about them piques our interest. So it also reminds us why dogs have been humanity's companions for a millennium. So as we go through this tour of mythological dogs, I would love if we could play a little mini game if you guys will indulge me. That sound okay, cool. Okay. Sure. I did not know we'd be playing a game, but I'm, I'm ready. I have my salty dog here with me with blood uh-huh. orange juice. And I hope everybody at home uh, who can or wants to has a drink as well. I went with my salty dog, but we didn't have grapefruit juice. So I went with lime juice instead, which Ooh. is basically just, you know, a gin and tonic. But that's okay. There's a salt room. That's fine. So for our mini game, um, don't get too competitive. It's not going to be a super stressful one. But for each uh, dog, I'm going to be providing a uh, couple of pictures and or not pictures, Eric, not always pictures, but uh, some of them are images. And I would love illustrations. And I would love if you guys can imagine that you're in your local dog park uh, and this pup has bounded up to you after playing with the rest of the dogs. And I want to picture you guys hearing the name from the owner calling out to that dog to be like, hey, leave them alone. And just tell me from your heart of hearts, 
What is that pup's name? You think you okay. can do that? All right, great. Yeah. Okay. All right, okay. awesome. So we're gonna get started with our first pup. And this, my friends, is Sarama or Dev Shuni. And this is from Hinduism's cosmology. Uh, their name means fleet one or the runner. Now, what would you guys name said pup? Marshmallow. Okay. Going with marshmallow. I'm going with uh, Jack. Okay, I'm into it. I don't know why. I've always gone with human names. That doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> it being it being Indian, but you know, I'm going. I'm going with Jack. It makes sense it. that you do have two dogs named Herbert and Henry, grandfather's names. They are. Yes. They're old man names, and I love them so much. One of them was in the room before before we got started, and he decided to leave. Poor Henry. We love him though. So uh, Surema means fleet one or the runner. Uh, that name kind of indicates that she was at times a messenger for the gods, similar to Hermes in Greek mythology. Uh, her official title is Dave Shuni or God of the Dogs. Her most well known story is when a group of robbers stole the god of the heavens and storms Indra's cattle herd. And in an attempt to get his cows back, Indra first sent a bird to deal with the robbers, but the robbers were able to bribe the bird with dahi, which is like a yogurt or a curd. Uh, the bird goes back to Indra, flies back to Indra, and tells him that the robbers didn't have the cows. But Indra finds out that the bird is lying because it spits up some of the curd and it shows his betrayal. Not great. Okay. But we're not talking about birds this episode. But Julia, I'm so curious, how would you feed a bird yogurt? <laughs> What, what would you know. do? A little bowl, I think. Just a little bowl. Sure. A little bowl. Like Put some honey bowl. on that yogurt. That's definitely going to get that Do they peck at it over. or do they like take it away? I don't know. Like how do birds drink water? Probably like that. Do birds have tugs? I <laughs> birds feel like do have could, tugs. Can confirm. Birds like, have tugs. Slip, slurp up some yogurt. All right, cool. cool. Maybe birds, maybe we need to invent gogurt for birds. Gogurt for birds. Biodegradable. I love yeah. that for okay. your cosmopolitan bird on the go. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Start pinching the shark tank right now. <laughs> or your skateboarding bird. For your skateboarding bird. Who just needs, just needs some protein while he does some kickflips. Your cool 90s bird. Yeah, he has his snapback. All he needs is his gogurt. But we're not talking about birds. So Indra next sends Surema. So like a true diplomat, Surema manages to convince the robbers that uh, they need to return the cows. And they make a deal with Indra for returning the cows that she and all of her future children will have all of the milk in Indra's flock whenever they so desire. Great. It's a good deal. Yeah, it's not bad. Uh, it was said uh, that later some of her children would end up serving the god of death, Yama, and they were described as brindled hounds with four eyes each who would guard the path to the afterlife. Sounds cute. I'm a big fan. It's a, it's a very cute. Like, I imagine that it's probably supposed to be intimidating. They are guarding the afterlife. They work for the god of death, but it's too cute. I, uh, the double eyes is adorable, in my opinion. That, I don't know. That, I would... I would be concerned. Okay. I think that would scare me away. Double the soulful eyes to stare into and just like yes. love your pup. Here's the thing though. Like we, we uh, so we have two dogs, Herbie and Henry. Herbie's got one wonky eye that just goes off that <laughs> way does. like Marty he Feldman. Does. And uh, Henry has human eyes. <laughs> and something about it just, every time I look at him, sometimes he looks back and it just looks like he's really... Like he's looking right into my soul. In. And I feel like if you had a very serious guarding the entrance to death dog with four very serious eyes, that would be that would be too intimidating for me to handle. All right. That's fair. That's fair. I just think adorable. And I love yeah. them. Effective. Good at their I mean, job. All dogs are adorable. But <laughs> that is fair. That dog is also going to intimidate me quite, 
quite righteous. I don't know. There might be a few that aren't adorable on this list. No spoilers. Hmm? Okay. <laughs> so in Nepal and in northwestern India, there is a festival known as Tihar, which on the second day, people place garlands around the necks of dogs and feed them the best foods in order to honor the relationship between humans and dogs. It's very sweet. Great. I like it. So in the first image, I'll go back where you see them with the garlands around their necks and the little hmm. the little marking on their foreheads. That is a celebration of Tihar. Beautiful. It's very nice. It's very adorable. So next, we're going to move on to El Cadejo. What would we name this pup? A challenge. I'm feeling going in Eric's direction like Bertram. Bertram. Bert, you mm-hmm. go Bertram. Yeah. I was going to go... Greg. Greg, I'm really loving these very human yeah, names, yeah. guys. It's not the way I thought you guys were going to go. Honestly, thought it was going to be all marshmallows all the way through. But <laughs> here we go. <laughs> so stories of El Cadejo can be found all over Central and South America, uh, most notably uh, in Salvadorian, Belizean, Nicaraguan, Costa Rican, Honduran, Guatemalan, and South Mexican folklore. Uh, So there are actually two types of Cadejo. There is a white Cadejo that is said to protect travelers during their journey and a black Cadejo which sets out to kill travelers. In some stories, the black Cadejo is said to be an incarnation of the devil. Uh, Typically, El Cadejo is described as a large dog-like creature or wolf. Like It's often described as being as large as a cow. And uh, these stories tend to indicate that it's something a little bit more twisted than a wolf or or a dog. Uh, it's described as having hooves of a deer and much thicker fur than a wolf. And it is said that it runs like a deer more than a dog as it pursues its prey, uh, be that travelers or other cadejo. Wow, that seems, yeah, like it would be challenging to identify that at a distance. You know, mm-hmm. like you look up into the horizon, you're like, is that a deer? Is that a dog? Is that a, a whatever, like a whatever else might be a wolf? Um, and that's sort of like animals behaving with the sort of other animals the way you would expect uh, to me is so mythological. Like you look at the thing and it's not exactly what you thought it would be. Yeah. I like this duality. I like the I like the one good dog, the one bad dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got to balance them out, you know, Yeah. especially when they have uh, spindly little deer legs that are a little bit creepy. The yeah. name comes from the Spanish word for chain, which is cadena, uh, because often the cadejo is said to have seen with a thick glowing metal chain around its neck. Uh, in some stories of El Cadejo, it, they said have more of like a passive figure to it. So it's not actively attempting to kill those who see it, uh, but it is said to be a bad omen or it's said to warn people that the path that they are currently on, like their life path, is going to lead them to hell if they continue on it. Oh. Very yeah. helpful. Okay. Helpful in that way. Yes. That's a very useful warning. It's like, hey. I guess it's helpful. It's mo- I would still be worried, like, especially what if you think that you're doing all right and then you see this thing and you're like, oh, oh no, I've got to change everything. But I guess I guess all villains probably think they're on the right path. It's a wake up call, man. You know? And yeah, wouldn't you rather know? Don't want to get a, a Christmas Carol style only at the very end of your life when you've done irreparable harm. Do you get the I memo guess, that you have I to guess. change? You don't want to be Ebenezer Scrooge. That's the mm-hmm. whole point. No. It is said that in the versions where it's the large black dog, it'll have glowing red eyes and it has the smell of sulfur following it, which I love. Ooh. Very brimstone fire kind of style. Love that. This is a heck pupper. This, this is. is just one big heck pupper that is just 
doing all kinds of troublesome stuff. Yeah. Uh, it is said, though, if you want to ward off the heck pupper, that you can ward it off by standing with your feet together so it can't run between your legs and whisk you off to hell, which I love the image. If you've ever handled like a large dog who is very excited and you are small like me, I, I can get knocked off my feet very easily by a very excited dog. And uh, I, I really relate to that. I love that. You can also use prayer and religious objects to keep it away. Good. All purpose. Nice. Would you guys like to know the origin of the black and white Cadejo in according to El Salvadorian mythology? Yeah, yeah, of course. So it is said that there were two brothers who stumbled across the home of a man during a storm. Uh, the man asked the boys to help him put some logs on the fire, but the boys did not, they just didn't do a good job. And instead, they just ate all of the man's food. So as soon as this started, I was like, these boys are either going to rob, murder, or fuck up this guy's night somehow. So they ate all the man's food, and when he discovered that they had eaten what little food he had left and that his fire was starting no! to die, you know, the only thing keeping his house warm, he put a curse on the road that led back to the boys' village. So when the boys attempted to return home after the storm, they were hunted by these unseen voices but when they finally turned their backs on them they were transformed into the white and black cadejo fascinating so the idea oh. being like one of them saw the error of their ways and the other one is either trying to tempt you down the path or is like i messed up in life and let me help you not yeah there you go it's, it really depends on which story you're hearing too which i really like oh. all right gang we're gonna move on to our next pupper who is one we're very familiar with here on the show and it's cerberus Cerberus. Look at him. He's so, so, good. he's so intimidating. I love him. So it would not be a tour of mythological dogs without Cerberus. He is the three-headed guardian of Hades in Greek mythology. He is, oh, I'm sorry. I forgot to get your names for Cerberus. Oh, what we would call him? Yes. What would you call mm. him? He's at the dog park. I mean, park. probably, probably just Cerb. Cerb. Like we've got, like we've got Herbert. At home, Herbie and, and we just Serbie. shortened that to Herb. Mm -hmm. And I feel like with Cerberus, that's such like a like a known, well known name. I don't want to change Cerberus. I feel name. you. I feel that. I think I'm going to go on a play off of Cerberus's three heads. I think I'm going to go with Mirepoix, the trinity of onion, celery, carrot in, in French cookery. Um, and then a it has the letter X in it, which is the best. And as mm -hmm. a kid, I was obsessed with having an X in my name, and I was so pissed that my parents didn't name me Alexandra, the alternate. <sighs> Would have been so great. Uh, and B, you could just call them Poix, which makes you sound like you're Poirot. And I'm just really into that. All right. That's very good. That's I think that's my favorite dog name so far. I, I like Serb as a shortened name. Well, it's very I mean, good. Yeah. But Mirepoix is just, I want to name a dog that now. I know. Cerberus is described as dragon-tailed. So in depictions of art, he is signified as having snakes rather than tails. Cerberus is a staple in descriptions of Hades, uh, which is described in the Iliad as being, quote, beneath the secret places of the earth. Ooh. Fancy. Oh, beneath the secret places. So there's secret places. This is one level lower. Mm -hmm. Hang on. Does that mean? All geocaches lead directly to hell. Potentially. Or at the least the most underworld. secret places. Straight down to Hades. Right down to Hades, right? You go past all the gems and stuff, and then you're geocaching, and then you're in Hades. There you go. I don't know. Sounds fun. Maybe that's a tempting agent. I don't know. 
There you go. So he permits the spirits, all of the spirits of the dead to enter once they've been ferried across the river Styx by Charon, uh, but he stops any from returning back to the world of the living. As we've said on the show before, as Amanda began to hint at, but allowed me to make the reveal, uh, Cerberus's name comes from the Proto-Indo-European word meaning spotted. So Hades, God of the Dead, just named his dog Spot. And it's incredible. I love it it's so much. It's my favorite party fact. So one of the key stories of Cerberus is that he was captured by Heracles as the final of his 12 labors. Uh, Heracles first approached Hades for permission to take his guard dog from the gates of the underworld. And Hades did, in fact, give him permission with the caveat that Heracles could use no weapon to overcome Cerberus. So he could only use his hands. Which, of course, Heracles manages to do. Uh, He picks the hound up over his head, and then he carries him all the way back to Earth, only for Heracles to return him shortly after, because the king of Mycenae was really intimidated just by (laughs) Cerberus being there. Now, do we think Cerberus just really enjoyed this outing and liked being picked up and carried like a little babe? He just had a good time, probably. Or it's like, it's like when you're trying to take a dog to the vet and they just keep squirming no matter what. And you're like, please stop. It'll be easier for both of us. (laughs) I imagine that's very similar to what it's So he brought the dog from Hades Mm -hmm. to Earth. Mm -hmm. And then he brought him back? Yep. Because the king of Mycenae was like, I didn't think you would actually be able to do that. Uh, Can you (laughs) bring him back now? (laughs) (laughs) He's like, no, this was too much. I regret the request. We got 11 labors. You did them all. I really thought the 12th was when we were going to stop. See, we need his work ethic and we would have prevented mm. the origin of the previous doggo. Not that I want to yes. prevent any doggos in the world, but yes. you know, something to learn from. Well, you know, uh, Heracles was also covered by the guilt of murdering his wife and children, but you know, yeah. not as great. So fun fact, uh, in my copy of Edith Hamilton's mythology in the index, one of the sections on Cerberus is labeled as, quote, mollified by cake. So I had to know what that was about. Uh, So let's talk about it real quick. So uh, in this story, uh, it is the tale of Psyche, uh, who has been tasked with supposedly impossible tasks by Aphrodite in order to get the goddess to help her win back the trust of her husband and Aphrodite's son, Eros. So Psyche is sent to Hades to get a beauty charm from Persephone, the queen of the underworld and Hades' wife. Uh, And though she is super intimidated by the fearsome visage of the three-headed dog Cerberus, Uh, She finds that she's able to calm him down with a little piece of cake and passes unharmed. Incredible. Incredible. If if no one's ever read the index of a book, I just really encourage it. It's very entertaining. It is. Uh, Fun fact, Aeneas would also use the same trick to sneak into the underworld to see his lover, the Queen Dido, later on in Greek mythology. There you go. I'm also easily mollified by cake. Yes, everyone, easily mollified by cake. Give me those sweets. Woohoo. Julia, we are sponsored this week by BetterHelp. And if there's something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, counseling and therapy can be a really great way to talk through those things and work on them and make some progress and improve your life. I have a therapist through BetterHelp, and they also have an LGBTQ arm called Pride Counseling. And it is absolutely fantastic to be able to get therapy from the comfort of my own home to text uh, or email my therapist in addition to doing video and phone calls. And I've just had a really great experience. And my favorite 
favorite thing about BetterHelp, I think, is that they really are committed to facilitating a great therapeutic match between you and your counselor. So if you ever need to switch counselors, it is easy and free, which is not true of traditional offline counseling. Mm Mm-hmm. So with BetterHelp, this isn't a crisis line or self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. And you can start communicating with a therapist in under 48 hours. Again, not a thing you can normally do. They have a broad range of expertise available, which might not be locally available to you as well. So you can kind of fill in a survey about what you're looking for support on and if there are any specific needs that you're wanting your therapist to have some experience with. They're also more affordable than traditional offline counseling and have financial aid available. So BetterHelp, because they want you to start living a happier life today, is offering 10% off your first month of counseling to our listeners at betterhelp.com spirits. Join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health at betterhelp.com spirits. Actually, in fact, Amanda, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. That's how helpful BetterHelp is. So again, that is 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com spirits. That's BetterHelp.com spirits. Amanda, I can't say that I miss going to stores to buy clothes and putting on clothes in a kind of dingy try-on room. Is that the word for it? I don't care fitting room. They don't fit you, though. You just put on the clothes and you're like, oh, no, this is bad. And then you stop. Yeah. And the lighting is terrible. And I always feel like I look awful. And I would just rather be doing it in the comfort of my own home. And that is where Stitch Fix comes in. So Stitch Fix is a personal styling company that brings you the world of fashion and style. It's completely different and a fun way to find clothes that you love. It's all about you every single time you order the box. So all you have to do is you have to go to stitchfix.com spirits to set up your profile and they'll start delivering great looks personalized just for you in the colors, styles, and budget that you're looking for. You pay a $20 styling fee for each fix, which is credited towards anything that you keep. So you keep that cool button up shirt that they sent you with the cool pattern Ooh. or you keep that uh, palm tree skirt that they sent me in my last box. I loved it. Ooh, uh, ah. You can schedule it at any time too. So there's no subscription required plus shipping, returns, and exchanges are always easy and free. So Stitch Fix does the hard work for you. They make great styling effortless for everybody, including men, women, kids, whatever floats your boat, whatever style you are on. So to get started today, again, you go to stitchfix.com spirits and you'll get 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. Again, that is stitchfix.com spirits for 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. Stitchfix.com slash spirits. We could do it together, Amanda. Stitchfix.com slash spirits. Love it. And finally, Julia, we shouted them out in the intro because they have designed these fantastic pins with us. But Shaker and Spoon is your go-to source to learn how to make craft cocktails in your house. They are a subscription craft cocktail box where they send you custom recipes designed by world-class mixologists, and they are all designed to use up exactly one bottle of a given spirit. So if that month is sake or Canadian rye or uh, a certain kind of apple brandy, then you get to buy that bottle and learn about that spirit and use up the entire thing, not just try it, be like, I'm not sure what to do with this, and then leave it collecting dust in your bar. Like I said, Amanda, and I have missed going to bars so much, mostly because I just miss someone else making really fancy cocktails for me. But yeah. with Shaker and Spoon, I can just make them at home now. It's so nice. And you really do learn stuff that you bring forward in your life. And it's it's not just about making those 12 cocktails, which are you know four drinks of three different recipes uh, per box. 
but it's skills and learning how to up your game going forward. And they're just great people. They have great recipes. I always learn something. I always am like, oh, let me look up this, you know, like nut milk creamer producer or this, <laughs> you know, uh, bitter chocolate that I grated over the top of my drink. It's just absolutely fantastic. It's a great gift. It's a great thing to get for you and your house or your family. It's just a, a wonderful way to learn more and have some fun at home. So if you go to shakerandspoon.com slash creepy, you can get $20 off your first box. Ooh. That's shakerandspoon.com slash creepy and get 20 bucks off your first box, which you can skip or cancel at any time. Trust me, you're going to love it. Thanks, Shaker and Spoon. We love you. And now let's get back to the show. All right. We're going to move <laughs> on to our next pup, Panhu. <gasps> oh. What would you name this pup? That's a good boy. What a perfect friend. <laughs> oh, Is that your name, perfect friend? No. I have to think on this one. Eric, what do you think? I like Doug. Okay. <laughs> Where are Great. you getting these from? Are these like your, your like fourth grade soccer team? Nope. Nope. I'm just, I, I see this. I go, Doug. Doug. That's what I would, if I, if I was going to adopt this dog. Doug. Doug. This explains so much about your dogs. They've all had old band names. It's true. I think I'm going to go with um, sweet potato pie, which would excellent give you many options for nicknames. Sweet, sweetie, sweetum, sweet cakes, potato, toto, pie, pie, sweet potato pie. <laughs> <laughs> you just iterate endlessly. I love it. I love it. I love multiple nicknames. It's great. Uh, so Panhu is a dragon-like dog from the Yao people of Eastern Asia, primarily in China and Vietnam, who is said to be their first ancestor. So the story goes that Emperor Ku, who is one of the five... Oh, I'm now seeing the picture on the left. Uh, yes. Oh, yeah. No, in I didn't focus what, on that one What first. was truly happening here, <laughs> and I... I, now I'm like, at first I was like, okay. And then I immediately looked at the picture on the right. I was like, ah, yes, uh, a yes. dog. And now I'm looking back and I'm seeing what's happening. And I'm not 100% on board. We will get there. No Don't worry. Okay. So uh, the story goes that Emperor Ku, who was one of the five emperors of Chinese mythology and was known as the White Emperor, uh, had a wife who had a long-suffering uh, ear disease. So when it was finally cured of it, it was said that a golden worm fell out of her ear. You got to stay with me. This one has a lot of twists. Uh, so she kept the worm, because sure, uh, in a gourd. And eventually the worm grew into a dragon-like dog. Mm. Okay. You were right. The, a lot of twists. <laughs> the dog, uh, which they named Panhu, was both adorable and smart as a whip. And the emperor and his wife loved that dog with all of their hearts. It's like when you adopt, don't shop, and you get a just lovable, <laughs> lovable dog you weren't expecting. And now they're incredible and no one could ever take them away from you. So Panhu loved them as well, just as much as they loved him. And when a rebellion attempt happened and a foreign leader escaped after an escaped coup, Emperor Coup called for the leader's head. Uh, but no one was brave enough to go after the leader, uh, even though the emperor promised that whoever did manage to bring him the man's head would be allowed to marry his daughter. Except for Pan Hu. Pan Hu sets off on his own. Uh, he waits for the foreign leader to drink too much. And when he's hung over and unable to defend himself, Panhu bites off his head and sends it to the emperor. Oh, my. <laughs> this story is like a roundabout. Every time I'm like, okay, I see where it's going. Mm -mm, somewhere else. 
Yeah, no, it's a, it's a lot of twists and turns. So, um, as promised, the emperor agrees that Pan Hu is allowed to marry his daughter, but not until Pan Hu sleeps in a golden bell for six days, which turns him into a human. Convenient. Okay. Mm-hmm. 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 Great. Based so, on the image, wait, it turns him into a human forever. Forever. Okay. Yes. But based on the image, I'm worried that didn't happen. It it that is what happened. It's just okay. so you know who he is. They made him into a dog man for Fair the art. Enough. Oh, okay. I'm much more on board. Okay, now. yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. I figured. If that's an artistic rendering, yeah, exactly. So rather than staying in the palace, the newly human Pan Hu did not require such luxuries, and instead he moved to the countryside with his new wife, where they hunted, they cultivated the land, and then they bore twelve children. Incredible. Uh, the king as a gift, gave each of the children, six boys and six girls, by the way, got to make it even, uh, mm-hmm. he gave them surnames, uh, which became the most common surnames of the Yao people. So a cool little etymology origin story there for you. Uh, after Panhu's death, because he was not an immortal dragon dog, now human man, there were many stories of him blessing his offsprings, but the most well-known one is when a disease struck the Yao villages. In order to survive, all of the villagers with the 12 Yao surnames had to leave their home and travel by boat to a new land. Along their way, the boat was hit by a storm, and they prayed to Panhu for their safety. Uh, When they arrived shortly after the storm on shore, they determined that it was, in fact, Panhu's birthday. And it became a tradition to celebrate their survival and offer up sacrifices to Panhu as thanks for keeping his people safe. So this is known as the Panwang Festival. It is uh, one of the most important festivals to the Yao people. It is known for its carnival-like atmosphere with singing and dancing, sports competitions, and most famously, the long drum dance, which is now over 2,000 years old as a tradition. Wow. Wow. There you go. This guy has quite the light. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Started as a worm. Mm-hmm. In an became ear. Became a dragon dog. Mm-hmm. Became a human. Now he's celebrated for thousands of years. That feeling when the father of your grandchildren started out as an ear infection. Mm-hmm. Listen, Fun fact, who among us Ear infections hasn't? have ended much worse, much more often. Pan Hu, when uh, directly translated, means gourd dog. Oh, man, what a great accidental homophone from Guard Dog. Now we're going to talk about Fenrir, guys. You mean the evil werewolf in Harry Potter? I don't mean that one, but give me your your dog park name for Fenrir. (sighs) Um, He's having a rough time, it looks like. This guy's name is... This one I'm going with more of a traditional dog name. Something like Porkchop. But like, okay. what's a more intimidating version of pork chop? Sirloin, T-bone, Ooh, T-bone. T-bone. That's it. T-bone is what I'm thinking. Is what I was thinking of. That's really yeah. good. I'm feeling like Lacey or Lucille. You know, mm, something right. a little bit flirty, a little bit. I fresh. see Lacey. Yeah, okay. I think Lacey. Yeah. I can see that. Uh, So this is Fenrir, or he who dwells in the marshes. And he is perhaps the most famous or infamous of wolves featured in the prose Edda in Norse mythology. Uh, He is said to be the son of Loki and the giantess Agnaboda, uh, and was originally raised by the gods of Asgard themselves in order to prevent him from sowing chaos throughout the nine worlds. 
Uh, however, Fenrir grew at such a fast pace that even the gods were having trouble handling him, and it was decided that they needed to bind Fenrir, chaining him up, basically. First two times, the gods failed, just straight up failed, uh, but they were able to disguise their attempts by telling the Hound that this was simply a game to test his strength. So uh, the gods then turned to the dwarves in order to forge the strongest chain they could make, uh, though it appeared to be extremely lightweight when it was looked upon, and it was even soft to the touch, which I think is really cool. However, uh, Fenrir was suspicious of the chain, because they've tried to lock him up twice now, uh, and refused to let them tie it around his neck unless one of the gods would stick their hand in his mouth as a sign of good faith. Okay, mm-hmm. I see it. Okay, all right. I'm, I'm with it. That's a lot of faith because yeah. that dog looked quite mean. Yeah, and a hand in a dog mouth ew, mm-hmm. that could go that could go a lot of ways. Yeah, but if her name was Lacey, you'd be like, <laughs> "Oh, sweet girl." Yeah, but what if what if its name was T Bone? T Bone. Mm. I'd be like, "Oh, sweet sweet child, <laughs> come here." So the god Tyr is the only one brave enough to do so, knowing that Fenrir is absolutely going to bite it off once he realizes he can't free himself from the chain, which is precisely what happens. The gods were able to bind Fenrir and tied his chain to a boulder, uh, but Fenrir did bite Tyr's hand off, and they placed a sword in his mouth so he could not gnaw at the chain. Well, not sad, because uh, it is said, Amanda, that when Ragnarok comes, which is the apocalypse, basically, for uh, Norse mythology, Fenrir will break break free of his bonds and will open his wide jaws, swallowing up anything between the ground and the sky that comes across his path, including, in some translations, the sun and the moon. Fantastic. I think Fenrir Breaker of Chains is my next D&D barbarian. Okay, I like it. I'm into it. Mm-hmm. He's also said to be destined to kill Odin, uh, but will in turn be killed by one of Odin's sons, Viadar. That's how it happens. Mm-hmm. It's got to be. You just got to be sometimes. Just got to be like that. So much destiny. So much destiny. So much like, this dog is going to kill you. <laughs> it's going to get you. But it's don't worry. You. One of your sons will eventually get that dog. But not after the dog has swallowed the sun and the moon. <laughs> It's a real 180 from you have a worm in your ear, but don't worry, he's going to give you many grandchildren. <laughs> it is, it really is. I tried to, I tried to really the balance these out. Yep, he did a great job. Well, next we're going to move on to Pulge. What would we name the pup, guys? Oh my name that God. Pup. Name that pup. <gasps> uh, Look at him gnawing on the sun. It's so yeah. cute. Mm-hmm. This is a playful boy. He's prancing. He's mm-hmm. jumping all around. Mm-hmm. Mm. He's in the sky. Oh, man. Eric, what do you think? I'm going with Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Samuel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, when you're, when you're mad at him, Samuel. it's Samuel. Go on with Sam. Okay. Maybe Sammy. On a good day. I think I'll do um, Jack, which sounds regular, but from like Jumpin' Jack Flash. Ah, okay. I like it. Mm. All right, all right. Like a thoroughbred, the, his full name is like Jumpin' Jack Flash, Breaker it's of Chains, gas, gas, gas. Fenrir, et cetera, <laughs> the, yeah, yeah. But we call him Jack. Well, his real name is Bulge, uh, and it literally translates to fire dog in Korean, where, as the name suggests, they were dogs made out of fire in Korean mythology. Their most famous story goes that a long, long time ago, there was many heavenly kingdoms. And one such kingdom was known as Kamingnara, or the Dark World. Uh, The king of this realm did not like that the darkness surrounded his kingdom, 
you know, not great. Um, so he ordered that one of the pulge uh, had to go and steal the sun and the moon so it may light up their kingdom and keep away the perpetual darkness. Sure. Yeah, sure. Wow. So the dog does its duty. It first went and after the sun. However, when he tried to carry it in his mouth, it was too hot and he was unable to hold it for too long. So he gave up and he returned back to the king, who was furious at the failed attempt. Not great. Uh, This time, he sends the fire dog to go after the moon. But much like the sun, the moon is too cold for his mouth and it freezes his tongue and he's unable to hold it for long enough to retrieve it for the king. He got a little bit of a. It's tough. He got a little it's tough. Like lear- learning how to play the right way is always a challenge for for a new dog. Yeah, uh, he gnaws at it for a while. Uh, he tries to hold it in between his teeth, but eventually, once again, he has to give up and come back to the king, who once again is enraged by the failure. No, he's trying so hard, my son Jack. <laughs> so the king sends more and more fire dogs, but each one fails. Uh, so it is said that the king continues to send fire dogs to retrieve both the sun and the moon to this day, and that when the sky darkens during an eclipse, it is the fire dogs attempting to bite the celestial bodies and bring them back to their masters. That's very good. It really looks like a bite, Mark. Ah. It's, it's very cute. Fun fact, there is also a very rare species of dog that is native to South Korea that is named after the Pulgai. It's very similar to a Jindo Spitz breed, but instead of being white or cream, it's a reddish maroon coat, an amber nose, and amber colored eyes, and they are extremely cute. Adorable. Very, very cute. I would name that one Sunbeam. Oh, wonderful. Any any nice. My Little Pony name, I think, would apply to this dog very well. <laughs> Thank you. So next we are going to talk about the Arales. You guys tell me, what would you name this pup? First off, not a dog. Okay. <laughs> kind of a dog. <laughs> kind of a dog. The one on the right, a little bit more dog. Oh, man. Oh, I don't even know what this one. I think this is like There's full There's so human. much happening. Yeah, full human full name. Full human name? Like hmm. Adriadna or something. <laughs> Okay. I really I saw this dog and I thought of Ellen Page. I'm not gonna lie to you. All right. <laughs> fair, fair enough. I mean, I'm thinking more like I'm thinking more dog name on this. Yeah, one. because it like almost a, looks too like human. A, a rover, rover or a or something along those lines. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Not sure why. All right. Just go with your heart. I'm so confused by the tail mm. already. Mm-hmm. He's also got wings. Okay, there weren't a lot and of a human face, most notably. <laughs> there were not a lot of um like period representations of this creature so i had to i had to make do but this, the one on the right does look like a logo for a casino it probably is uh so this pup is a dog from armenian traditions uh which they are said to live in the sky or at the peak of mount arat uh it was believed that when a brave warrior was struck down in battle or if someone was like quite literally stabbed in the back uh the arlas would appear and heal their wounds by licking them I mean, useful, but it would also yeah. deter me from stabbing anyone in the back because I do not particularly want to encounter this dog. Oh, no, but they but they are cute little licking buds. Anyway, so one of the stories goes that the King Ara the Beautiful, uh, which is a great king name, by the way, A+, plus, yeah. uh, he was killed in a battle with the Assyrians, which was only being fought because the Assyrian queen found him so beautiful that she ordered her soldiers to invade Armenia and then bring him back to her so that she could marry him. Oh, yeah. I mean, wow. I'm a fan of, 
of women's agency, but I think that might take it a step too far. It's a little bit too much, yeah. yeah. So when he died in the ensuing battle, she ordered that his body be brought up to her chamber, and she called the Arlas to her and ordered them to lick his wounds, which healed him and brought him back from death. Wow. I am seeing a question here um, from Sydney in the chat. Now, does this pup lick with the human mouth or the dog one? Yep, that was also my question. I'm picturing the dog mouth. I cannot confirm or deny whether it is the human mouth or the dog mouth, but Mm. it's a good question. Yeah. It was said that one of the commanders of the Armenian armed forces from the 4th century uh, was laid to rest in a high tower after he died because his relatives believed that he was such a good person and a brave warrior that the Aralas would come and lick his body so he could be brought back to life. So I just really like the story. I think that healing flying pups who love to lick is a great story and a great version of dogs. You're right. I'm sorry. I think the illustration just really... Just cover it here. I'll go to the next page. I'm sorry I ruined it for you guys. No, that's okay. Listen, a good old pup who wants to come and and lick you and cuddle with you and also heal your wounds. Awesome. Yes, and it's going to be a a nice comparison uh, to our next one, which is the Raiju. Oh. Okay. (laughs) I'm not seeing a lot of dog in either of these. They're being fought in these. Okay. Oh, yes. Yes. I now now see see Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. What would you name these pups? Like they look like they're kind of like clouds. So I just want to say cloud, but I feel like that's too. Well, you're naming him after the the Final Fantasy character. Yeah. And I'm no, I'm see, I'm not. I don't want to, I don't want that to be the assumption either. So I don't want to stick with cloud as my answer. Amanda, do you have anything while I, while I maul it over? I do think that's a helpful word association for me. And I was thinking about something fluffy, something cute to kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, um, contrast with the image of the dog. And I think Nimbus. Is very Ooh. charming. Nimbus that is, is very, very good. Let's, yeah. let's go with Nimbus. Oh, we have, we have consensus. I have consensus on Nimbus. I love Amazing. it. Amazing. Well, the Raiju's name means Thunder Beast and is a yokai from Japan that is intertwined with stories of lightning and thunder. So uh, while there are many different depictions of the Raiju and what it looks like, it is commonly portrayed as a wolf, sometimes a blue and white wolf. Sometimes it's surrounded by lightning, as we can see in the art here. Uh, Sometimes it's made of lightning itself, which is extremely cool imagery, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they are said to have long, sharp claws, ferocious faces, and said to have a howl like thunder. Uh, They, much like the Arales, are uh, said to live in the sky. And Raiju are like, they're basically considered relatively harmless, except when storms start up, which drives them into a frenzy. Uh, The way that they travel is they ride bolts of lightning to the earth when thunder claps and cause trouble wherever they land on the earth. Now, that's very cool. We were not far off with our cloud name, Eric. So I think Mm -hmm. together we we really got there. Um, Yeah. And I know a lot of people's pets are a little bit afeard when it's stormy outside. So that, that makes me oh, sad. Henry is, he shakes. Oh. He's, Henry is recently, Henry recently has gotten his own room, essentially. <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> he, it's wild what's happened under these circumstances. Is that what life is like in the Midwest? You have just extra yeah, rooms your dogs for your No, no, so, so, what's, so what's happened is, he doesn't have his own room, just to be clear. He has an appropriate dog size room. He gets very scared during thunderstorms and sometimes during just light rain. It's very confusing. <laughs> And he just shakes very badly. So we put a blanket in the closet and he now, he so he would try to hide it there, but he never, he always was all over the place. Sure. But then most recently 
he just always goes in there as soon as we go to bed and he just sleeps in there now. Aww. He does not sleep in the bed anymore. He only sleeps in what we are now referred to as his room, <laughs> which is just the closet. He's comfortable there. That's good. Yeah. little lad. At least he's yeah. not causing lightning-related damage in other parts of the country. Oh, don't worry. We'll talk yeah. more about that. So oh. um, during storms, uh, Raiju you are very chaotic creatures. They cause destruction for seemingly no reason. Uh, however, they are also sometimes said to be in the service of the gods. Uh, if someone is said to be struck by lightning, it was said that the gods had sent a Raiju to punish that person. Wow. So that's fun. Uh, often in stories in Japanese folklore, Raiju are presented as monsters that are to be slain by great heroes. It is said that in 1153, the hero Minamoto Yorimasa slayed a Raiju in Kyoto. Another story tells of a samurai named Tachibani Dosetsu. Uh, who was taking shelter under a tree when lightning struck. And Tachibani drew his blade at the exact moment that lightning struck, cutting it in two. And when the smoke cleared, a dead Raiju lay at his feet. And from oh. then on, his sword was known as Raikiri, or lightning cutter. Dang, that's also my next weapon in my D&D campaign. Very good. Have Eric Silver make us up that item stat block immediately. Check uh, the Spears podcast Twitter tomorrow. <laughs> Do you know if this is where the name Raichu in Pokemon yes, comes from? Yes. Yes. Oh, good call. I mean, he's a, he's a mouse, yes. but like <laughs> this, it's so similar that I was like, it does, it would make sense. Well, Rai means thunder, I think, in ah, uh, in Japanese. That makes so sense then. That's, yeah. that's where, and then Chu, Chu. Uh, the next one we are going to talk about is Sholot. Tell me, thoughts? Ooh. What would you name the pup? Ooh, that is... That's something right there. Mm -hmm. I love this friend. And I'm going to name them so many options. I'm going with Marco. Okay. I was going to go like Bert. Okay. All right. Relatable. Very interesting. Friendly. You know. Uh, not quite how I would describe this pup. but Is uh, Bert the unfriendly Muppet? Yes. Yes. So he is maybe the... suitable. Okay, great. Bird's more curmudgeon-y than yes, unfriendly. I would, but... I would say. Uh, so from the Aztecs, Xolot is said to be the twin of Quetzalcoatl and is the god of lightning and fire and associated with dogs, twins, sickness, and misfortune. Oh. Uh, often in art, Xolot is shown as having the head of a dog as well as a skeletal form with reverse feet, Amanda, your favorite thing, mm -mm. and empty eye sockets. Hate it. I also don't like reverse feet, <laughs> for the record. Mm -mm. Uh, so during the Aztec creation story, the gods created the fifth sun, but realized that it would not move across the sky. So the gods decided that they would have to sacrifice themselves in order to have the sun move. But Cholo did not want to sacrifice himself and instead acted as a trickster, hiding from the gods in the form of first a young maize plant and then agave plant and then a salamander until the gods finally caught him and he joined the rest of the gods in death. Uh, in another myth, he and Quetzalcoatl traveled to the underworld to retrieve the bones of the dead, which humans would later be made out of. That's a wily wow. guy. Yeah, he's a wily dude. I figured he was going to become a worm by the end of it. No, not a worm. <laughs> Kelsey Breeze. Close. Yeah, very close. Uh, the twins, Quetzalcoatl and Sholot, were said to represent the morning and the evening star, with Sholot as the evening star acting as a guide and guardian of the sun as it traveled through the realm of the dead at night. 
So as such, Sholot is often depicted as being a guide for the newly dead to the underworld. Additionally, there's also a breed of hairless dogs named after Sholot, which are known as the Quinti, I think, or just Sholo for short. I'm sure those dogs are cute. I'm not sure about their namesake. If you've seen the movie Coco, mm-hmm. the, the Disney movie yeah. Coco, the dog that accompanies him into the afterlife, that is a Sholo. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So fun fact about that. Those are really cool dogs. They are. Yeah. They're very cool. Um, we are going to move on to our last pup of the evening, guys. It's been fun, but we are on our last pup, and it is Susith. Okay. Oh, a very good hound. Mm-hmm. Very jumpy. Mm-hmm. Got some birds there. There's The birds are mm-hmm. not associated with him. I think he scared the birds. Yeah, mm. yeah. Like a good dog park dog should. What do we name in this pup, y'all? I want to go like classical, Artemis, Athena, mm. Hera, mm-hmm. something along those lines. Okay, okay. I don't have a good suggestion, but I I, I like Amanda's as well. They just, it, it feels like that's the kind of name. Yeah, I think I would go Charlotte. That's mine. Good. English Regal. So from the Scottish Highlands, uh, this is quite similar to the Irish Cushy, which means uh, fairy dog but absolutely just bigger than your average dog by far. Look at him. Look at him compared to that knight. He's got no chance. That's a big boy. That knight is not going to have a good day. The Susith was said to be as large as a large calf or a young cow, and it was said to have a dark green shaggy fur. Sometimes it was said that it has such a long furry tail that it was braided in order to keep it from dragging behind, and it had paws the size of a full-grown man's hand. You can see the kind of braided tail in this picture to the right there. So cute. It's very cute. I love a, uh, a blending in with the environment. Mm-hmm, Very mm-hmm. cool. Well, he's a, he's a fae pup, so he's got to be able to do that. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes in stories, it was mentioned that they had fiery, glowing eyes that could cut through the fog of the moors and the highlands. Uh, while there are plenty of stories about large dogs throughout the British Isles, the Susith is inherently tied to the fae because of that beautiful green coloring. Very sweet. Also, I'm sure the last thing you want to see when you're on a misty moor in Scotland, right, like very early in the morning, is like a pair of eyes coming at you. But what a sweetie. Yeah, so Susith were uh, respected, but they were also feared. They were said to take a soul to the afterlife, similar to the modern idea of the Grim Reaper, and thus were seen as a harbinger of death. Uh, Sometimes it was said that it would hunt those destined for death across the moors. Leading up to its attack, it will howl three times. But it's said that if you, you can escape that fate if you find shelter before the third howl, which I love. I love that it's like, he's howled twice, I gotta find somewhere to go. I love that. I like a nice race. Yeah. Got to get somewhere. I'm hearing similarities to the Banshee as well, which Mm -hmm. I I appreciate from Irish folklore. So that's great. Uh, But if you hear the final howl, you will die from sheer terror. You know, classic, honestly. Correlation, causation, we're not sure. Mm -hmm. Here we are. That's intense. That's intense. Just like the third one is just too scary. Yeah. You're just like, that's it. I'm done. You're like, you yeah. know, it's I, I accept my fate at that point. You know, I, I don't even need to see the dog. I just have to hear it howl three times. 
So gang, that is our tour of mythological dogs. I think that there's a lot of very, very good dogs. Some dogs who like, you know, maybe maybe we should uh, bring them to some training or something like, like that. And they need a little bit of a little bit of help so we can understand them a little bit better. But I, I love that there are so many dog stories around the world. It just kind of reminds us and helps us remember how important dogs are to our lives and the stories that we tell. Amazing. Julia, thank you for taking us on that tour. It was my pleasure. Thank you guys for joining me. And thank you all, everyone at home who is listening in, uh, for joining us as well. Thank you all so much for joining us. Again, if you didn't know us before tonight, thank you for for having a drink and hanging out. Taking a chance on us. (laughs) Great. And thank you finally so much to the museum for having us. We absolutely would love to perform in the museum. That's a a total professional dream of ours. Um, So we look forward to coming back uh, later this year or early next year would be super fun. So thank you again for having us. Remember everybody, stay creepy, stay cool. Thanks again to our sponsors at betterhelp.com slash spirits. You will get 10% off your first month of counseling at stitchfix.com slash spirits. You'll get 25% off when you keep everything in your box and at shakerandspoon.com slash creepy. You'll get $20 off your first box. Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider, with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us at Spirits Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr. We also have all of our episode transcripts, guest appearances, and merch on our website, as well as a form to send us your urban legends at spiritspodcast.com. Join our member community on Patreon, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast for all kinds of behind the scenes stuff. Just $1 gets you access to audio extras with so much more available too. Recipe cards, director's commentaries, exclusive merch, and real physical gifts. We are a founding member of Multitude, a collective of independent audio professionals. If you like spirits, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. And above all else, if you liked what you heard today, please share us with your friends. That is the very best way to help us keep on growing. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time.